Welcome back, health investor. I hope this episode finds you feeling healthy and happy. As you probably know, I'm a huge believer in the power of intermittent fasting. I engage in a 12 to 16 hour fast most days of the week. In fact, I already did an episode all about the habit, which you can find in the episode archives. It was episode eight for your reference, so you can either scroll back through your podcast app or you can find it at thehealthinvestment.com slash fasting. Now, I'm a fan of fasting, but I'm no doctor. That's why I was thrilled that fasting proponent and physician Cecily Ganhart, aka the fasting doctor, agreed to chat with me today. As you'll see, Dr. Cecily has a very unique perspective on fasting. She debunks a lot of fasting myths and even reframes some of the terminology. From here on out, I'm going to think of intermittent fasting as gut rest, as she calls it. You'll see why. Even though Dr. Cecily is a medical doctor, it's important to remember that the thoughts she shares are not medical advice. You should certainly discuss any new diet or lifestyle change with your own physician before implementation. If you love what you hear today about gut rest, don't forget to share this episode with friends and family that could also benefit from the info. All right, it's time for me to stop talking so that you can hear from Dr. Cecily. Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, There are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one. So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Dr. Cecily. Thank you so much for being with me on the Health Investment Podcast today. I know that my listeners are super fascinated by the topic of intermittent fasting, and I'd already done kind of a quick episode about it, but you're the first fasting expert to be on the show, so I'm super excited to talk with you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love talking about intermittent fasting. It's probably one of my most favorite topics to discuss, so I'm happy to do it any chance I get. Oh, perfect. Well, you're in the right place because I have a lot of questions for you. So first of all, can you just share with us your story, your background, and how you got into fasting to begin with, how you sort of became a fasting expert, if you will? Yeah. So I um, stumbled upon intermittent fasting in 2017. Um, I was uh, attempting weight loss again, you know, and many people Mm -hmm. can relate to that story. You'll lose some weight, then you gain it back, and you'll lose it again, and then you Mm -hmm. gain it back. So um, after the birth of my second son, that was when I was at my highest adult weight, which is uh, 264 pounds. And so in between that time, I was just trying to find different things to keep the weight off. Uh, 
friend of mine actually suggested checking out The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. And I read that book and it just made sense to me. Like the science made sense to me. His explanations made sense. And I started implementing it into my own life um, and lost uh, over 50 pounds. Um, I think, but when I started reading the obesity code, I was somewhere around like 220, some, somewhere in there. Um, and this has been the longest that I've ever been able to maintain, um, weight loss. So I like it, um, in terms of, you know, being an expert per se. Um, I mean, obviously there are people out there who have been implementing this longer than I have. Um, but I have now for over a year and a half, um, employed intermittent fasting in my own clinic. I have a Mm. clinic where I help women, um, lose weight prior to pregnancy because we know that, um, obesity can be associated with negative pregnancy outcomes. So I try to tie in my um, background as a uh, maternal fetal medicine subspecialist with my knowledge of obesity medicine and fasting, and have had some really great results. And then outside of clinic, I work with um, clients as well. So um, I do have uh, clinical experience in combining intermittent fasting for other people, just not only myself. That is so cool. So I know I'm very familiar with Jason Fung's work as well, and I've heard lots of definitions out there in terms of what fasting is, what it isn't. How do you define intermittent fasting? So I like to keep it simple because I really think that we overthink it. And just as simple, it's gut rest, a period without food or um, caloric consumption. Basically, if you're consuming anything but water, right, then- Mm -hmm you're not fasting. And then in terms of a time definition as to when this needs to occur over, I say at a minimum of 12 hours, and then from there you can build on different lengths of time. But even fasting for a minimum of 12 hours has general health benefits. Right. Do you usually encourage people to work to longer fast beyond that? Or can somebody just stay at the 12-hour fast and see really positive health outcomes? Yeah, I think it just depends on what your goal is. Um, For a lot of people, if you're willing to um, clean up your nutrition, sometimes 12 hours is all that you need. Um, I really tell people to kind of tailor it to the result that you're looking for. So if you are already at kind of um, a quote unquote goal weight, or you've reached your health goals and you're looking to maintain those, fasting every day for 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours may be enough for you. Um, If you notice that you are creeping back up in weight or, you know, not having your hypertension controlled anymore or different aspects, then you may have to employ longer fast than that, even 16 to 18 hours or mixing it up and doing, you know, one meal a day, a few times a week, followed by intermixing it with 12 hour fast. I mean, there's so many different combinations, but a lot of it, we really do need to let our um, kind of bodies drive us on that. That makes sense to make it kind of goal focused. I've never heard it explained that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause I think sometimes you'll get, you'll hear people and they'll say, well, I'm doing a five day water fast and uh-huh. I'll ask them why. And 
they can't really give me an explanation as to why they're doing a right. water fast. Like if you're going five days without food, you better have a reason. You should know why you're doing it and what benefit you hope to achieve. And yeah. not just like, oh yeah, because I just, it's a Tuesday. So I'm just going to fast for five days. So, um, and I think when you have goals, um, focused or goal oriented, and also try to make sure that the scale is not your main goal, because that can sometimes lead to discouragement, but other, you know, health goals. Um, And you can kind of see how your body feels and, and it just helps you kind of get into a natural rhythm with your eating patterns. For sure. So you mentioned anything but water, you're not fasting. So would that mean, because sometimes I see that you should, you can drink bone broth or black coffee or tea. In your opinion, is that, does that break your fast if you have any of those things? So at the core root of it, like if we're being technical, yes, all of those things would break your fast. However, you, it still doesn't mean that you may not achieve many or most of the benefits of fasting, even with having fasting aids. So that's, I think, where people kind of get a little confused about. But if you're, um, you know, at your safest bet, it's always going to be water is going to be the best agent to consume. But if you are able to drink black coffee or plain tea, then those have relatively low or negligible caloric value. And so that's really not going to kick you out of receiving some of the benefits um, like autophagy or you know metabolic health or whatnot. Bone broth can be tricky because it's just going to depend on, did you make it at home? What did you put in it? Is it store-bought? What did they put in it? So um, again, if you're just having one cup of bone broth a day, um, probably not going to inhibit your results. But when you start having multiple cups um, during your fasting window, that could be an issue. Now, there are great other benefits to drinking bone broth. And so sometimes I'll just encourage people, you know, um, if you like it for the um, different proteins and whatnot in it, you know, open your window with bone broth, maybe Mm -hmm. break your fast with bone broth. Or the same thing, if you can't drink coffee without the cream, then maybe end your fasting window with a nice cup of coffee with cream. But sometimes when people aren't getting the results that they're looking for, it's because when you look up at all the different beverages they're consuming in their quote unquote fasting window, they're really not fasting at all. Right. And you mentioned, I mean, 12 hours is a good base point. So it's really not crazy to stop eating at 7 p.m. and then consume calories for the first time after 7 a.m., Exactly. Yeah, it's not really that tough, I think, to do, and that which is why I really like it. I find it to be one of the easier things I've tried for getting different health benefits. Mm-hmm. The longer fasts, obviously, are more challenging, but the 12, even 14 hours doesn't seem as tough, especially if you can drink black coffee exactly. in the first couple hours you wake up. Exactly. And like the thing too, you know, you're sleeping through most of that, especially Mm -hmm. if you're going to do a 12 or 14 hour fast. Um, Hopefully you're able to sleep, you know, at least seven of those hours, um, at least in a perfect world. Right. So that would then really minimize the time that you're up actually without food. 
So that's why I think 12 to 14 hours is a great place to start for people who are new to fasting. And then if you want to experiment with longer periods, then just keep pushing that first meal back an hour over a couple of weeks and you'll get to 16 to 18 hours before you know it. Mm, That's a good, that's a good tip. You mentioned the benefits of fasting. So one of them, as you've mentioned, is weight loss, but what are some of the other benefits? So we think it also improves um, hyperinsulinemia, or which is also known as um, having too much insulin in the body. You'll hear people call it insulin resistance as well. Um, it's been shown to help with um, lipid profiles and hypertension, um, gut health. Uh, some studies even show mood benefits. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned autophagy earlier. And that is the body's kind of self-renewal um, clearinghouse mechanism. So fasting helps to upregulate that, which can have roles in disease present- prevention. Um, also, uh, brain health may be helping with uh, various neurodegenerative diseases. So, I mean, the list really does go on and on and on. And we're discovering uh, more potential mechanisms each and every day. So cool. How long do you usually fast currently? What's so it just practice? depends. Right? Yeah. Right now. So my fasting pattern has changed right now just because I'm five months postpartum and I'm nursing, mm-hmm. um, so breastfeeding. So I really don't do too much over 12 to 14 hours right now. Um, I experimented with a couple like 16, 18 hour fast. And for me, if I go too much past 15 to 16 hours, because I'm also active, I notice my milk supply drops. And so I don't want to do anything really to compromise that. So right now I'm at about like just your normal gut rest, which is about 12 to 14 hours a day. Um, prior to pregnancy, I usually did a minimum of 18 hours. And then um, once a month, I would throw in like a 36-hour fast, um, sometimes a 48-hour fast. Um, And then seasonally, I would do um, longer fasts, like a 72-hour water fast. So I'm kind of all over the map, but my general fasting pattern um, is typically about 18 hours. Okay. And then you brought up nursing. So that's an interesting point because I think there's often some controversy about fasting and women. Um, so what do you think about obviously nursing or you mentioned pre to, prior to conception, it could be good, especially for weight loss, but then during pregnancy or different phases of a woman's cycle, sometimes I hear women say that they lose their menstrual cycle when fasting. What do you think about intricacies for women? Yeah, so I think um, to kind of just take it bullet point uh, by bullet point with some of the things you just brought up. So one, if we do look at pregnancy, right, intermittent fasting in a manner that you would use it for weight loss is not recommended during pregnancy. Um, Because during pregnancy, you know, while you definitely can gain too much weight and we have to recognize that, um, you know, many women gain beyond what they're supposed to during pregnancy and that can have poor outcomes you still are expected to gain some weight during pregnancy. And so um, fasting during pregnancy more than just your physiologic benefit, which is, you know, 12 hours, um, you probably really shouldn't push it more than 12 to 14 hours. Now, has every pregnant woman woken up one day and, you know, 
were late for work and ended up missing breakfast and accidentally did a fast. Yes, that happens. But this shouldn't be something that you have like a plan regimen to do, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for lactation, um, but how I kind of touched on, the main issue is going to be your milk supply. So when we're trying to establish milk supply, particularly in those first eight weeks, really the focus should just be on getting your breastfeeding routine down and like right. trying to sleep whenever possible. So you can um, focus on your nutrition more. And then after that time period, um, you know, like I tell people, there's never any reason to eat constantly around the clock. Like there's no reason that you need to graze, you know, during the nighttime period. So again, you could always cut off your meal by 7 or 8 p.m. and then eat between 7 or 10 a.m. the next morning, make sure you're staying hydrated. But going beyond that for some people does compromise your milk supply. And again, you don't want to run into low milk supply when you could just, you know, fast for 12 hours and still receive a healthy gut benefit. Um, When you talk about fasting and menstruation, so that is a little more of a, a complicated subject in the fact that when we look at women who may lose their menstrual cycle and immediately they say it's due to fasting, I first say, well, what was your fasting routine? What else were you doing? So for instance, were you training for a marathon? You also all of a sudden changed your diet drastically and then decided to do a 72-hour fast? Well, which one of those things was yeah. it? You know what I mean? Like you, you threw a lot at your body all at once. So if you are of um, normal body weight, you know, and I guess it depends on how you define normal, but assuming that you're not underweight and um, have an appropriate uh, amount of body fat, if you're doing 16 to 18 hour fasts, that really shouldn't negatively impact your menstrual cycle. Where people are going to get into trouble is when they try to do extended fasting uh, for either too long or too frequently or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we have to be careful as to how often are you fasting over 36 hours because that in itself could disrupt the menstrual cycle. I see. That makes a lot of sense. And even when you're talking about other factors that could be affecting your menstruation, I was I just jumped to thinking about stress. I mean, maybe somebody's gotten a new job and they're not sleeping. And I know that before I've had experiences with stress altering different things in my body. So that is a really good point to bring up of just being in tune with what's going on and maybe not attributing everything to fasting. Could be partially that maybe, but it could also be something else. Right. Because I think fasting gets a lot of blame for things. Um, Just if someone notices a change and it's negative, they're like, oh, it must have been fasting. Mm. Um, And and maybe it was, you know, I don't know. I don't know what your routine was like. But also kind of, again, look at the whole picture. Um, And as you mentioned, stress. I mean, stress, lack of sleep, just chronic fatigue, all of those things can definitely wreak havoc on anyone's body, regardless if you're fasting or not. So would you say that fasting is kind of a stressor on your body? And if you are experiencing high stress with a job or maybe lack of sleep for some reason or any other stressor, is it best maybe not to fast during that time or is that still okay? 
Yeah, I think, again, it's going to depend on the length mm-hmm. of your fast, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you fasting definitely can be a stressor on your body. And so that's why I caution against extended fasting in terms of doing it too frequently. So earlier in the conversation, I said, yes, I have done extended fast before, um, and I would do a 48-hour um, once a month. For me, that was fine with my um, menstrual cycle. But, you know, I also would not recommend doing five-day fast every month Mm -hmm. and then doing, you know what I mean? And then mixing it with like one meal a day or alternate day fasting, like that could be too much, you know, for your body. So even if you have like a lot of stress going on in your life, me personally, I still feel like just a baseline gut rest of 12 hours is very feasible, doable, and likely beneficial for most people. But what you have to take into account is when you start going longer periods of time, could that be too much for you, depending on your personal situation? And so sometimes you do have to back off on your fasting. Um, I'll have people say to me, you know, before I could easily fast, you know, 18, 24 hours, and now I can barely make it 14. I'm like, well, maybe your body's telling you to just back off for a little bit. So maybe just do the 14, focus on your nutrition, focus on cutting down some of those other life stressors, and then pick it back up when it doesn't seem like it's as much of a struggle for you. Yeah, I think it's such a good point that you've brought up a couple of times now, just to be really in tune with your body and listening to your body and not pushing it too hard, you know, if it's sending you a signal that maybe something's off, take it back a notch or kind of assess what could be going on. Don't just kind of forge ahead and keep with whatever it is you're doing. Right, right. What about in terms of men versus women? Do you find that they have any different benefits or an easier time with it since they have different hormones and obviously a 24-hour cycle versus a 28-day cycle? Right. So I, most of the people I work with are women. So, um, the only like couple comparisons I have to are basically my husband in terms of men, um, Uh and then like some other family and friends that I've worked with um, outside of that. But, you know, in terms of looking at our menstrual cycle, yes, we have to account for that, but I still just have a general approach to fasting. And I really don't alter it based on male versus female, unless there is a specific issue that's starting to take place. Mainly, is it affecting the menstrual cycle? Um, For me personally, the people that I've worked with um, have come already come to me because they have menstrual irregularities. And so I'll see their menstrual cycles start to pick back up. when we're doing intermittent fasting. So I've seen people go from irregular to regular. I really haven't had too many people that I work with go from regular to irregular, though I know it is reported um, in different circles. So I think just by focusing on at first, keeping it to a maximum of, you know, 16 to 24 hours at the most, Um, you know, mixing in one meal a day with periods of 14 hour fast and then focusing on nutrition. Most people that most women that I work with don't seem to have any issues with that. Okay. Good to know. What would you say are some of the biggest fasting myths that exist out there that you see? 
Um, we've touched on it. Um, one is just that women are unable to fast and that fast uh -huh. men and no women, women can fast as well. Um, two, it's that, you know, the weight will just disappear with intermittent fasting. And certainly we see those success stories, right? Where people are like, I lost a hundred pounds in a year and et cetera. Um, but I still tell people to set a realistic goal, depending on where your starting weight is of no more than four to five pounds a month. Um, some months you may lose more, some months you may lose, um, less, but it's not necessarily that you're going to lose, you know, 30 pounds within the first couple months of fasting. So I think you have to keep your goals realistic. Um, other myths are the, you know, fasting is starvation mode. Uh, and, you know, it really, again, fasting for 16 to 18 hours a day is very well within normal human physiology. Like it's not going to put you into this mystical starvation mode that I hear about all the time. Yeah. I like that you call it gut rest because I think sometimes fasting is equated with starvation mode. So if you kind of reframe the conversation around it, that you're, that's not what you're doing, right? You're giving your gut a, a little rest from digesting. Exactly. And we used to do this all the time without even, uh, you know, coining it anything, right? I mean, people used to stop eating when the sun went down. And in the morning, they probably had chores or whatnot to do um, and busy. And so they didn't eat the first second they got up either. So I mean, that used to kind of just be a normal type of human pattern. And so only recently have we really felt the need that we have to eat constantly. So you've mentioned nutrition a few times and that one that uh, intermittent fasting isn't just this band-aid, band one-size-fits-all thing that can make you lose weight instantaneously. Obviously, other things are factors as well. So what do you recommend that people eat during the feeding window, as some people call it? Or what what are your nutrition recommendations? Yeah. So I think that's another myth that I failed to mention is that um, you'll hear people say, well, I like intermittent fasting because I can eat whatever I want. And I mean, I, you know, yes, there are people who lose a lot of weight without changing their nutrition. Um, but I still think that food has so many inputs and so many sources um, and signals for our body that it's also important to um, improve your nutrition as well. So I tend to keep it very general so that people can fit it into their lifestyle. I basically recommend a diet low in processed foods and keeping processed sugars low. So you want to eat real foods. That doesn't mean you can't ever have a piece of cake or ever have a beverage, but Hopefully over time, those things become habits you do just on occasion and that the majority of your foods are single ingredient foods that you have to cook and, you know, put together and they don't have to be elaborate meals. You know, you can have fish with asparagus or Brussels sprouts, you know, it doesn't have to be anything too overwhelming. Um, but I find when people start to cut out the processed carbohydrates um, and cut down on like the refined sugars, the canola oils, um, and really reach for just real foods that people tend to feel better with intermittent fasting combined. 
I am on board a thousand percent. I always say that I'm very lazy when it comes to meal prep and cooking, but I also make most meals for myself. But I'm all about the single ingredient things that you combine to make the absolute easiest meals possible. Not a huge fan of recipes over here. Just, you know, sheet pan vegetables and a protein or whatever I can make that takes less than 10 minutes. So it definitely is possible to do, but it just kind of requires a reframing of thinking. Exactly. And I'm the same way. I don't use recipes hardly at all. You know, maybe I'll glance at a recipe like I wanted to learn um, how to cook um, lentils in a particular style. So, you know, I Googled that briefly um, to get like the seasoning down. But I mean, really, most of the foods I make, there's a protein and a vegetable and then, um, you know, plus or minus sometimes fruit and I'll season it, cook it and it's done, you know? Agreed. Yep. I, I see some of the things that you're posting on Instagram and it looks exactly like what I'm making. So yeah. <laughs> glad we're, we're aligned on that. Exactly. So you mentioned also activity and how you're leading a pretty active lifestyle. So do you have any recommendations in terms of the length of fasting when you are more active or maybe you have a hard workout coming up on a certain day, should you be mindful of your fasting window? For me, I think it just depends on whether you are um, breastfeeding or not. So like right now, um, I fast shorter periods of time because I'm still pretty active at work and active with my boys and things like that. Um, When I wasn't uh, nursing, I would fast and do fasted workouts. And for me, I didn't have a problem. Now that caveat is, of course, I was not, you know, exercising at the level of an Olympian. So I think the exercise intensity has to, uh, you know, take into account. But for me, just kind of my normal, either like beach body routine that I was doing at the time, or if I was going to go and run like two or three miles, I could do that um, in a fasted state. If you are going to do fasted workouts, um, you may want to, the first few times that you do it, uh, definitely show yourself some grace and don't try to set any PRs or personal records. Um, you know, maybe only work out at 70% of your max just so that you can get used to that. Um, but I felt like, especially when I weight lifted um, in a fasted state, I just felt like I toned, um, it, you know, it was easier to tone up. Um, I felt like my workouts were more effective. So um, one, I think uh, it depends on the intensity of your workout and what you're doing. Um, but many people work out in the fasted state um, and notice great benefits. Yeah, it seems to just kind of come back to your goals again, right? If you are training for that marathon, maybe you'll take, maybe you won't be fasting as much as somebody who's doing lighter workouts. Right. And, and you know, I was talking with someone else and, um, you know, there are a lot of people who like to work out first thing in the morning. And so I was talking with someone in particular And they were like, you know, no, I have to have like my pre-workout meal. It wasn't anything heavy, but they had just so long always had their pre-workout meal. And this individual was healthy at baseline anyway, but wanted to get into intermittent fasting. So my statement to him was that 
well, why don't you have your pre-workout meal? And I said, do you feel like the need that you have to eat right after you work out? And he's like, oh no, after that, I'm fine. I was like, so then just reverse your fast. You know, we always talk about fasting at night. I was like, but why don't you just fast from your pre-workout meal until dinner? Because you're not really looking to lose weight. You're already healthy. You just want to get some gut rest benefits. So he's still able to get in 12 to 14 hours a day um, and keeps his, uh, you know, pre-workout snack. Huh. That's that's really smart. I've never thought – I've never heard about it that way. Do some people – so, yeah, we've talked about the overnight fasting, but what percentage of your clients would you say that that works more of the day fasting? Is that pretty rare or? It's pretty, for people that I work with, it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that people who either already have like intense workout schedules um, are already baseline metabolic healthy and they're just looking to try to figure out how to incorporate gut rest, but they're not really trying to lose any weight. I find those people do um, better with the more daytime fasting. So like a seven, uh, sometimes they'll do 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And then they'll eat and then they still cut it off. So they're still getting still about then 10 hours or so at night. So again, there's so many different ways to kind of flex it depending on what your goal is. But I think so many people get caught up with the fact that, well, it has to be 16 or 18 hours and it has to be done in this manner or it's not beneficial. And and that's not true. There's a lot of ways you can tailor it to your lifestyle, um, especially if you aren't um, looking to lose weight or if you're underweight, then, you know, doing extremely long fast probably is not a good idea. But again, I, my motto is I feel like almost everyone can benefit from a nice 12 hour period of gut rest. And it's up to you to determine how to fit that into your day. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I've heard and read on Instagram and other social media platforms that some intermittent fasting deniers will say it's just calorie restriction by a different name. And essentially that's all you're doing with intermittent fasting is restricting calories. So do you think there's any truth to that or is that false? I think by and large it's false. Now, I mean, I guess there are definitely extremes. And so if you were having, you know, just tons and tons of calories, um, when you do cut out one meal, essentially, yes, maybe you're having a little bit of caloric restriction, but typically not enough that that accounts for what the weight loss is. And they've done studies where they've shown people consume the same amount of calories spread out across the day versus um, having those calories consumed in an actual eating window and have shown greater improvements in like metabolic health and and whatnot. Mm. So it's certainly not just simple... um, caloric restriction that is at play. So does fasting prevent some of the harmful effects that calorie restriction can have on your metabolic health? Yeah. And it just depends on how you're um, employing it because there is, there's caloric restriction when we talk about it, right? That's um, a broad term in terms of, you know, the person who's like, well, I'm going to do uh, a thousand calorie diet, you know, 
to lose weight versus people who are employing um, caloric restriction, actually trying to mimic fasting um, Mm. for a certain period of time, alternating with periods of normal food. And so I think that's also where some people get confused about because when you're fast mimicking, so for the people who are doing alternate day fasting, but on their, uh, or the five and two diet, but Mm -hmm. on their quote unquote fasting days, they're trying to limit their calories to 500 or less, and then eating normally in the intervening, intervening periods, those people still note weight loss usually more effectively or efficiently than people who are like, well, I'm just going to every day, day in and day out, only have a thousand calories to eat because your body then adjusts to that new baseline of only having a thousand calories. When you're intermittent fasting, most people are still consuming, if you're looking at a 16 or 18 hour eating window or fasting window, excuse me, most people are still going to at least consume 1,200 to 1,500 calories, if not more. Um, And the fact that you're allowing your insulin levels to decrease is allowing you to access stored fat. And that is not um, you know, negatively slowing down your metabolic rate. In fact, you have studies that show the opposite. Real quick, I wanna take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered thrivemarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. So do you really help your clients stay mindful of how many calories they're eating in the fasting window? Do you think that that's something we all need to be concerned about that we're getting enough, or sorry, not in the fasting window, the eating window, that we need to be eating enough calories? Or do you think that that is something kind of naturally we do anyway? No, I definitely um, remind people of that, especially if I see them start to have weight loss plateaus. Um, because for so long, we have been taught that you need to restrict your calories, you need to restrict your calories, rather than looking at the quality and the types of food that we eat. So, you know, if we're just doing simple calorie counting, then 100 calories of broccoli, right, should be the same as one cookie that's 100 calories. But we know the body does completely different things with those two substances. Uh, So I do have to remind people, not infrequently, especially when they're doing one meal a day, um, is that, you know, if you're doing one meal a day, your one meal a day can't be a salad, not day in and day out. That's, you're Mm -hmm. you're not going to feel great. You're not fueling yourself enough. Um, And so that's when I talk about calories, but not in the manner that most people expect. I'm usually not telling people to restrict. I'm usually telling people to eat more. Right. I'm just curious. So in medical school, did you have any form of nutrition training or is this something you've come to learn on your own over time? Afterwards. I mean, we had maybe like a couple lectures on it, maybe. 
Um, But this was more like after um, medical school. Basically, once I myself became interested in intermittent fasting, I then became more interested or I shouldn't say more, but equally as interested in terms of what should I actually be eating during my eating window. Um, I felt like I got the fasting down, fortunately for me, pretty quickly. Um, It just seemed to click. But then I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to tell my kids that they should fast. So what should I be feeding my kids and what should I be preparing for my family? Um, Because I want all of us to be healthy, Um, you know, not just me. So that's where I started looking at different resources and and good books for me. Um, There's a book called Deep Nutrition by Dr. Kate Mm -hmm. Shanahan. Mm -hmm. That book is really, I mean, it. It's a great book and it really helps simplifies a lot of it. Um, I've looked at different books or whatnot, and some of them have more calculated nutritional formulas and you have to have this proportion of this and that proportion of that. And she just um, kind of lays it all out there and makes it very easy for people to follow. Um, there's also um, a low carb network called the Nutrition Network. Um, and I did some training through that as well. So, and then I'm continuing to read and and whatnot. Right. I love Dr. Kate Shanahan. I heard her on a podcast once. I'd love to get her on this podcast, but I know she's a huge proponent of bone broth, as you had mentioned earlier, there's some benefits with that. And then wasn't she also working with the Lakers basketball team at one point? I think she was their advisor. Yeah. Yeah. She did some things with them. And then, um, she also talks about, um, and for people who are more interested too, there's a book called fiery ferments, but she talks about fermentation. Um, so like after I read her book, then I like kind of did my own search on like, how do you make fermented foods? So now, we make our own fermented foods. So for instance, you know, sometimes if you need an antibiotic for some reason, um, a lot of times your care provider will say, well, make sure you take a probiotic with that too, right? Because the antibiotic is, you know, while they're beneficial, they are going to wipe out a lot of your beneficial gut flora. Um, And so now, you know, rather than buying anything over the counter, we just eat our own ferments, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So there's, it's, Nutrition is so fascinating when you look at some of the things we used to make for ourselves and just their um, benefits. So if you're into fermented foods or wanting to try fermented foods, I would definitely add fermented foods and um, bone broth into your life. I think those are great um, you know, health tonics that people um, can make themselves relatively inexpensive and are underutilized. Definitely. I kind of going back to what I had mentioned earlier of how lazy I am when it comes to cooking things. I thought that fermenting foods was challenging or that it was just going to take too much time or whatever. But when I learned how easy it is to make your own sauerkraut, I was shocked and I've made it multiple times. I mean, it's fermenting foods, I think is one of the easiest things you can do. It is. And it's delicious to put on top of everything. And just like you said, to have your own probiotics and to watch them develop. I'm sure your kids love that. It's so cool to see it bubble and it's like coming to life in your jar. It is. It is. And that's, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, I think people are fearful of doing it, um, but it's really hard to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And it, the simple thing is just like, if it smells bad, then don't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of that, I mean, you can pretty much ferment 
anything. So we're definitely big proponents of it and our guts are very happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. So one question and uh, one of my Instagram followers had was about intermittent fasting in conjunction with thyroid conditions. Can you speak to that at all? Is that recommended or not? Or is it again, kind of the 12 hour baseline is okay, but what would yeah. you say? Yeah. So I think when um, the concern that comes uh, with thyroid conditions is because um, people recognize that intermittent fasting um, can actually improve metabolic rate. And so I think people are concerned theoretically that if you have hyperthyroidism, right, your thyroid is too active, then are you, you know, even revving that up more? Um we don't have any evidence to suggest that um, intermittent fasting in people with hyperthyroidism, assuming your hyperthyroidism is well controlled, um, has uh, any issues with that. Um, and I've worked with people before who have hyperthyroidism and they fast um, without really any issues. Um, for hypothyroidism, um, that is even less of a concern because if we're saying that the thyroid is underactive with hypothyroidism, then, you know, giving yourself that metabolic boost um, is not really going to, in theory, shouldn't have any negative effects with that. So um, hypothyroidism, I don't worry about that either. Um, I, I just think some of that theoretical maybe comes into hyperthyroidism. But again, for people who are well-controlled, that really shouldn't be too much of an issue. I see. That makes sense. So just a couple more questions for you. What advice would you give to someone who has never tried fasting before, but is interested now in getting started? What's your advice for beginners? I really think trying and starting out with that 12 hours of gut rest is a great way to go. Um, and I know it sounds corny, but, you know, comparison is the ultimate thief of joy. So don't look at people who you see posts, you know, I'm on my Harvard day water fast or whatever. And then you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm only doing 12 hours. Because again, we see benefits starting with 12 hours of gut rest. So I would start with 12 hours and then just every week adjust that by an additional hour. Um, and until you get, you know, to your target goal, I think that's going to be, um, the best way to start. And then once you get your fasting down, or you can do this, you know, make little tweaks or goals a week, um, say you're a big pop drinker and even, you know, you like diet pop or something. Um, I would say, try to start cutting out some of those, um, beverages, the artificial sugary beverages, the sugar sweetened beverages, sometimes just doing that plus 12 hours of fasting, people notice like major differences. Mm, that's great advice. So the final question I ask all guests based on the title of this podcast is just in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? I think for me, making the health investment really is looking at yourself and taking kind of a true inventory of your own health and then figuring out what you want to attack and what you want to um, improve in your health. I think oftentimes, um, you know, too many people equate with 
uh, quote unquote, losing weight or quote unquote, getting healthy as if you're not happy with your overall appearance. And I tell people that, you know, your appearance and beauty, that those really have nothing to do with health. You know, you could be quote unquote, the most beautiful person in the world and have a ton of um, gut dysbiosis and internal health issues. You could be stressed all the time. You know, you could be a nervous wreck. Um, and so is that quote unquote, really healthy? So kind of separate you know, um, trying to reach some arbitrary size goal or figure goal or whatever, and just really look at how your body's functioning um, and figure out how can you make yourself um, function to the best of your ability. That's so well said. What is the best place for listeners to follow you and find you? I am on um, across like all social media platforms as the fasting doctor um, on Facebook, Instagram, recently attempting to dabble with Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website is thefastingdoctor.com. Awesome. I love when it's streamlined. That's awesome. It's great that it was available on <laughs> yeah. everything, you know, sometimes that's not the case and you have to take out letters here or there and it gets all complicated. So exactly. I got lucky. So yep, I'm, I'm the same across all platforms. You did. That's awesome. Well, truly, truly appreciate your time. Uh, this episode will come out in a few weeks, but for every listener to know, we are in the thick of dealing with the coronavirus right now. And I know you've been doing a lot of Instagram lives to answer questions and, I know that you have a lot going on in your own practice. So you were just so generous with your time today and all my best to you in these next weeks as you're working with patients and really serving on the front lines out there for all of us. We are all, I'll speak for everyone, but we are grateful to all of the physicians out there right now for sure. Thank you. Yes, it's definitely going to be interesting times. And I think just... Uh, we're all in this together. Everyone in the healthcare facilities, if you work in a hospital in any form or fashion, you know, we're out there trying to do our best to tackle this pandemic. But um, we're hoping just for patience with everyone, you know, that you guys give us a little patience as we try to navigate these new and uncharted uh, waters. But Hopefully we will get everything back up and running and this too will pass hopefully mm-hmm. sooner than later. Well, definitely. Thank you so much again, Dr. Cecily, and you shared so much amazing knowledge and I appreciate you. I'll see you over on social media. Yes, definitely. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, so let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs.
Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.